Well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're continuing our study through the book of 1 Timothy, and we are in chapter 5 this week. Interesting stuff in the text this week. Um, when it comes to confronting and talking to people about the things of God and even their sin, it does truly matter how we go about these things. The scripture doesn't tell us not to, but it gives us instruction on how we should do these things. So this is instruction. Chapter 5 is an instruction for the church. What we should be doing as a church and how we should be operating as a church. So we're going to start in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, a younger man as a brother, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, as we open this text, God, I know that I have no ability in and of myself to relay spiritual truth without your Holy Spirit directly intervening on our behalf. God, I plead this morning that the Holy Spirit would be present, active, and transformative in this room. God, help us to see your word in a fresh way. In Christ's name, amen. Sometimes as we grow in our knowledge of the scriptures and the text in general, we can feel like we've got some sort of a special seat and a special information, some special revelations that can cause some real problems. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 tells us that oftentimes if we're not interested in, in understanding the text, the way it should be laid out, it can puff us up. It can cause in us to have a puffed up, prideful arrogance about us. And the text says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes us arrogant. Knowledge makes us puffed up. But love edifies us. Love edifies us. So the calling for Christians, the calling for the church in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, is not to come in swinging our biblical knowledge like a prideful jackhammer, but rather coming in speaking with a desire to see men and women come to genuine reconciliation to Jesus. We want to see men and women Come to know Christ in a new and fresh and intimate way. We don't come in with our biblical knowledge, swinging around, yelling, screaming, acting like a crazy person. We are trying to help people see Jesus better than they understand him now. So that they are wanting to pursue him, wanting to chase him. Brett Baggett says, are you filled with sin? The Lord will use his Bible like a scalpel to cut your sin out and then cover the incision with the plaster of Christ's forgiving blood. That's, that's good stuff. 
This is the glory of the gospel. This is how we as Christians should communicate with one another. Using God's word as a scalpel to see men and women healed from their sin. This is, the, this is the instrument. This is the tool that God uses to reconcile and forgive and set men and women free. This is the glory of the gospel. And what happens oftentimes is younger guys who talk to older men about faith. Because sometimes what can happen is younger men can get really excited about the Bible. They get fresh in. They see the doctrines of grace and they understand the text and they see the Bible in a fresh new way. Then they're like, I want everybody to understand it the way I do. And if you don't understand it, you're crazy. That's, there's some young, and listen, I get it, young, especially young, just fresh young men. They're just ready to, right, ready, ready. That's, but that's built in bias by the Lord, but we've got to temper that with some Holy Spirit wisdom, right? So sometimes they can get a little filled with zeal to long, long to see the truth presented and held in such a way that, that honors the Lord. But that can get lost sometimes in their approach. I'm guilty of doing it. I mean, if you'd known 25-year-old Caleb, I sometimes wasn't exactly the most tempered in my speech when it came to the things of Scripture. And it made some people a little... They got a little offended. One commentary said this. He warns him in this text against his misplaced zeal, which might urge him to, be unbef- to an unbefitting behavior towards those older than himself. So he's not telling him not to confront sin here. He's saying there's a way to confront sin in a way that's winsome. And to see men and women saved and redeemed and reconciled. He's not telling him not to confront, but rather he's saying there's a way to do this in a respectful manner. In a respectful manner. Yes, indeed, do confront sin because that ultimately is the most loving thing a Christian can do is confront sin. But rather than it being in an emotional rage, it needs to be tempered with genuine concern and a desire to see them set free. Talk to older men and give them the respect they deserve. And with younger men, talk to them as if they're your brother. They're not, like listen, they're not your enemy. There is, there is an enemy, but they're not your enemy. There's an enemy behind all of this who wants to see walls built up around and so we have no communication no community no camaraderie so talk to older men with respect talk to younger men as a brother and long to see them set free from sin and we're to talk to older women like you're going to talk to your mom there's an old saying you talk to your mom with that mouth remember that saying there's a way to listen there's a way that I talk to my mom that I didn't talk to some of my buddies I just, amen? That's just, that's just, we, that's how we work. Talk to your, talk to older women like you talk to your mom or your grandma. Listen, it's a loving, I didn't walk into my grandma's house and be like, hey, woman! Like that didn't, like that's not how that worked. Like, cause my grandma, she, she had those trees that had the, the little green leather beans on them. 
She'd go pick one of those out. Listen, this was before the days of, hey, we're going to find you and you can't spank your kids. Grandma didn't know that rule. Amen. Grandma came after me. Like, come on! And I was like, oh, run. And I'd always wear shorts to Grandma's house. It was always a problem, right? Because she'd come after me. You, I mean, listen, do you really think I needed that many spankings? I mean, think about it. Don't look at me like that, Pam. All right, uh, I got I to gotta focus. Talk to older women like you talk to a mother or grandmother. You're to address younger women like, in a like manner, like a sister. Like somebody that's, now I know that some of you sisters, not, not that kind of comrade, not, not that way. In a way that you, like you actually care for one another. That's the idea of the text. And there is a difference. There is a difference. There is a difference between um, having a one-on-one conversation. Because sometimes in a setting like this, when a preacher preaches, there's a tone of urgency. We should have a tone. The scripture does tell preachers to have a tone of urgency about sin. And a, t- and a tone of, you need to repent and trust the gospel. But if we're a one-on-one, like, let's just put, okay, I was thinking about this as I was driving up this morning. Put yourself in the shoes of the sinner. If someone confronts you about sin, do you want them to walk up and be like, Really? Really? Are you serious? I can't believe you did that again. Or do you want to be like, Hey, can, let's, let's sit down. Let's talk. I want you to know I love you. I care about you. I want to help. Because you come in that kind of tone, that's a different, listen, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, okay. They're not being a jerk. They want to help. I don't know anybody that when you try to help somebody, that they're not like, oh, I don't like that. We, we'd all need help. There's a difference between a corporate setting in preaching and a one-on-one interaction. The goal in our one-on-one interaction should be to see your brother or sister one. And there should be a desire for unity and a desire to see your sister or brother Back in fellowship. With a longing to see someone grow in their faith. A longing to see someone walk closer to Jesus. Yes, absolutely call out sin where it is present. Because if we're not, John Owen said, if, you're, if you aren't killing sin, sin will be killing you. So we have to be about that action. The next thing we see in the text is who the church, so that's, that's the first, so there's several things that happen in this text. We've got a couple, I mean, Paul writes to Timothy and he sections these things out. It says, okay, here's section one. Here's what you're supposed to do in the church when it comes to confronting a brother or sister in Christ. You want to confront them? Here's how you do it. Older men, treat them with respect. Older women, treat them with respect. Younger men, treat them as a brother. Younger ladies, treat them as a sister with a desire to see reconciliation in all purity. All the desire for purity. The next thing we see in the text is who should the church be helping? Goodness gracious, this is a question that is just thrown all over the place in the church world. It'd be amazing if we had a book that told us sort of kind of what we're supposed to do. Oh, wait, we do. Let's look at verse 3 through 5. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household and to make some return to their 
parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has her hope set on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. Okay. This is, this is laid out interestingly because in our world in which we live, we think the church should be helping everyone all the time. All the time. I mean, it's not just a blanket. Hey, go help everybody. We don't just blanketly need to care for all widows either. There is a caveat. There's a caveat or a window as to who should be taken care of. Verse 3 says, take care of and honor widows who are truly widows. This means women who have no one left. Ladies who are absolutely and utterly alone. This is the primary group that the church should be taking care of is women who have no one left to take care of them. We say, well, wait a minute, Caleb. That, that, that just doesn't seem right. Why? Well, here's why. We're going to see what happens here in verse 4. Verse 4 tells us why. But if this woman who has lost her husband, has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is pleasing to God. So listen, kids. Kids, you say you love and belong to Christ? You must absolutely take care of your parents as they get older. Period. God's social security is the family, not the government. This is why the listen, this is why the family is under attack the way it is. The enemy wants to disperse and destroy the family because he knows, the enemy knows that God has placed and set up the family in such a way this is how we take care of one another is the family. And if you could take a man out, you could take a woman out, you could take the family, just splinter them. He knows that there'll be carnage. And man, are we not seeing that. We're seeing the fruits of what has been sown in our culture. God has designed the family to be the unit that takes care of each other. Fathers and mothers are to take care of their children. And as children grow older, they are to take care of their parents. I got the honor. I got the honor and the privilege to be able to care for my mom and dad. And was it was it easy? No. Was it difficult? Yes. Getting phone calls at two o'clock in the morning driving out with my brother to pick my dad off the floor because he fell again. Was that hard? Yes. But it's a privilege and an honor that we as Christians carry. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. As children grow old enough, they 
are to take care of their parents. This is how God set the family up to be. We are called to take care of our families. And when we follow this admonition, you are pleasing the Father. That's what it says. This is something that pleases God. You want to please God? You say, I'm a Christian. I want to please God. Then take care of your parents. Look at verse 5. Now, she who is a widow indeed and who has been left all alone and has has been fixed on the hope of God alone and continues and entreats and pleads with the Lord both day and night. This is the woman that the church loves well. The woman who loves the Lord and prays to Him day and night, who finds her hope in Christ and Christ alone, who has no one else. She sits in her home and she is alone and she is a quiet, dark house. This is who the church is to take care of. The woman who pleads with the Lord and takes, we are to take care of her because that is our responsibility. The body of Christ is to help her. This is where her prayers are to be answered as she pleads with God. God, help. God, I'm alone. God, I'm lonely. God, I need help. Please. This is where the church steps in and we become the hands and feet and arms of Christ. And we pull that widowed woman in and we love her as if she's our mom. You know what we've got here? You know what this is? This is. Listen, I, I don't have a mom anymore. I need a mom to take care of. Some of you don't have any moms, and you've got moms in this room that need to be taken care of. I don't know where this is coming from. Gosh. <clears throat> Notice the prerequisite, though. She is truly a lone, widowed woman, meaning she has no one. She has no children. She has no grandchildren. And she loves the Lord. This is who the church is to focus on taking care of first. Verse 6. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Now, in verse 6, we see how we are to care for lost Widows. Lost widows. The primary focus is the proclamation of the gospel to a lost widow. Then we meet her physical needs. My friend Lucas Nettles, who has been here before, he's played music here, once said, If spiritual needs are not addressed, nothing else matters. None of us are promised a day. What good is a full belly when eternal judgment comes? We are to make our primary focus on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with lost widows. And then we meet their needs. And that can, be, and that can happen at the same time. Take her some food and sit down and talk to her about Jesus. Furthermore, <clears throat> widows who are truly widows, who are saved members of the church, should be the group that are helped first by the church. There's a qualification though. The primary group to care for widows Primarily is the family. As if she does not have a family 
I'm sorry, as if she does not have a family, then the church, if she doesn't have a family, then the church is to step in and be her family. Sorry. If she does have a family, they need to take care of her. Verse 7 tells us why. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. This is what we're supposed to do. So people aren't, well, you're not really taking care of these people, are you? Look at you, you're not. This is the instruction. Families take care of your families. And then those who do not have families, church, become their family. Furthermore, furthermore, to those who try and pawn their families off on the church. Now here's, oh, this is another one. God tells you what you are in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those in his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than a pagan. The proving grounds for your faith is how you treat those that are in your family. If you're cruel to your family and refuse to take care of them, you are worse than a pagan. That means someone who doesn't know Jesus. That's strong medicine, I know. But this is the word of the Lord. The primary social security is to be the family. And this is why I believe the family is under such attack. Satan hates what God has created and wants to destroy destroy the family because he can't destroy God. So he tries to destroy the thing that God created. He tries to twist up the thing that God made. And think about it. Everything that God has made, he he has done a bang-up job of destroying. There have been gifts that have been given to us by the Lord as good, beautiful, common graces. For lost and saved alike. And what has the enemy done? The enemy has come in and just jacked everything up. This is why we need Christian families all the more to do what God has called them to do. We need husbands who love their wives. We need wives who love their children and their husbands. And we need husbands who love their kids. And we need these two parental units, husbands and wives... To fear God and raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. To love and long to see the kingdom of God come. I posted this on our church's social media page this week. And I believe it with every fiber in my being. And I'll tell you what here in a minute. Furthermore, I've, already, I've always believed it. But some, this week has cemented some stuff. Christians should not be ashamed to long for believe for and verbalize as well as take action to see their cities become Christian cities. Where biblical Christianity thrives, society thrives. I'm not kidding. This is where we need to take we need to take an understanding of the text and listen, God has called us as Christians to conquer we are called to tear down idols and rebuild idol or rebuild altars to God. Christian and this is and it starts in Christian families. And this and then they come in and they, they gather together as a corporate body. Christian families come together and they worship together in rooms like this and then we go into the towns and we persuade people to know Christ. 
Now, this week I went to the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in um, Kentucky. It was, at, it was held at the Ark Encounter. I went there for work because our, our work, my, the, my day job, um, wanted to try to drum up more business with Christians because the owner is a Christian. And as I sat there and engaged with people there, but I listened also, I went into the sessions and listened to the speakers. And then afterwards, they would tell you, here's what you need to do. And then afterwards, they would show you how to do it in real time. They would have the fellowships where men would get together, women would get together, children would get together, and families would get together and talk about the things of God together and spur one another on to love Christ more. There's a church in Moscow, Idaho called Christ Church. It's a Presbyterian church, but we'll, we'll forgive them for that. But uh, and the only reason I say this is because some of them might hear this, and we joked all week about that, because I, I was one of the only Baptists. Yeah, you know, it's all right. So there's a town, or the church, there's a church called Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. This church is so influential in Moscow, Idaho the city council attempted to pass a law that if you were a member of Christ's church, you couldn't vote in local elections. <laughs> That's how on fire this church is to see Moscow, Idaho, one for Christ. Because you've got in the center of that town a pagan, a, a, a pagan university. This is why Christian families are important. And the enemy knows, the enemy knows that Christian families are a threat to his kingdom. And we should be striving, longing for, and wanting to see Cedarville, Kansas to be Christian again. A Christian town. A town where biblical theology, biblical wisdom, biblical love is actually on display for the, for the entire place to see. Like, and I think it can happen in our time. This isn't something, well, that's a thousand years from now. That's a hundred years from now. No, I think it can happen now. But it takes men and women like this in this room to say, okay, I want to see my city one for Christ. How does that happen? You have to be what Jesus called you in Matthew chapter 5. You have to be salt and you have to be light. You have to be families who don't build walls, but you build bigger tables. Invite somebody in that doesn't look like you or sound like you and share Christ, share a meal, share your love with them. We should strive to want to see Cedarville, Kansas become a Christian town, a beacon of light in a dark state. And this is something that's achievable because I'm see, I, I watched it, I witnessed it this week. It's, it can happen. Like I said, where biblical Christianity thrives, societies thrive. We've been following the, wor the world for far too long. The church has been following and attempting to, to be relevant. Listen, I don't need to be relevant to, to the New York Times. I don't need to be relevant to the, to the folks in the Capitol. I don't need to be relevant to them. I need to be relevant to Christ and, and submissive to Christ. 
We followed the world too long and it's time we make a change and it starts here and it should start now. That's what we need. We need to long for revival and reformation. That's what we should long for. That is the hope that we have as Christians and we should be spreading it like wildfire. 